and welcome to Minute 33 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Richard Kirkham of Kirkham, A Movie A Day, and the Shepherd of the Lambcast. Welcome back, Richard. Glad to be here. Nice to have some friends on uh, this nice, beautiful day. We're, this is uh, Wednesday, right? Uh, yes, it is. I think so. <laughs> it feels like Wednesday, doesn't it? <laughs> Every but, day is Wednesday in my world. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. Hey, I'm retired, so every day is pretty much whatever I make of it. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe you're stuck in Groundhog Day. You know, so then every day would be a Monday. That's true. So, you know, but still. <laughs> so minute 33 begins with John continuing to try and convince Trudeau and Lorenzo that he's right and ends up with Trudeau pondering about uh, the electricity grid. So we ended things yesterday with John... Uh, trying to state his case with uh, Trudeau and Lorenzo and explain to them why something big is going to happen. You know, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not sure, but you know, and, and they're they're not yet convinced. They're 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 still wondering, you know, who this guy is and what why he believes that something's going to happen. You know, because you know we're dummies here. <laughs> Give us a little bit of your genius to to try and explain it. I don't know. So today, John continues with giving his explanation of things, and he says, the world's biggest drug dealer is due here. What do you need, a slide rule to figure this out? Or maybe another body in a zipper bag before you start asking questions? And then Lorenzo breaks in and goes, hey, pal, you're the one that gave us that f***ing body. Remember that. And then we, we actually get a, an emotional response from John where he goes, yeah, I remember that. So it, it's... You'd think that John now knows that this guy is a mercenary. You know, he doesn't seem too choked up about the fact that he ended up killing Cochran. In the way that he delivers this, it makes it sound as if he's, you know, somewhat feels bad about the fact that he killed him. You know, maybe maybe just he feels bad because he wasn't able to interrogate him. Yeah, I don't get the feeling that it's so much regret as it is an acknowledgement. Yeah, I, I you know was involved in this thing where I got my ass handed to me and I'm lucky to have survived. No, but it's, it's, you know, it's a facetious. Yeah. I remember that. I don't know. Cause it looks, cause, cause he's, he's screaming at them pretty much beforehand. And his response is, you know, yeah, I remember that. Not, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if he's being facetious there. I, I to me it seems as if he's he's saying it in a way that you know I didn't mean to take a life but I did even though this is scum. Yeah, that's not the that's not the impression I get at all. Okay, that that that's fine. That's fair. Um, because he he doesn't say it like with a with a smirk or something like that, which is what you would expect from John McClane. You know, because you know John McClane is is used well, to he might terrorist. be mirroring the same kind of facetiousness that he just got from Trudeau. You know, share your genius with us, kind of stuff. He says, yeah, I remember that. Oh, okay. you know, it's being deadpan, back right back at him. Uh huh. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. It's an That's actor's fine. choice. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I, I also like the fact that, uh, you know, that Lorenzo calls him pal. You know, it goes back to from the first movie where, you know, where they use the word pal quite often. You know, especially when Marco on top of the table shooting at him and he goes, no more table, pal. <laughs> and, then, and then John says to him, thanks for the advice, pal, right before he shoots him. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of pals. Uh, those are just two examples from the first movie. So the the fact that they, you know, bring up the term pal once again, it's like, okay, interesting. You know, I wonder if that's on purpose or it just happens to, uh, you know, happens to be. Well, I'm sure that the, uh, the use of the word is probably, you know, supposed to be reflective of McLean because he uses that phrase regularly. Right. Yeah, so. but it's McLean using it. But how would, you know, how would Lorenzo know it? Uh, reflecting back. No, but if he didn't say it, he didn't see Die Hard 1 yet. Lorenzo didn't watch the first movie, you know. Well, or you're saying when I, he was on I, Nightline. I, I, or I when you're saying back and look at the previous minutes, I don't remember the interaction that uh, Lorenzo and McLean had before they get to the tower. So I couldn't say exactly whether or not there was a reference there. I don't recall that there was, but maybe maybe when he was on Nightline, he mentioned it or something like that. You know, he... You know, John just used pal. Yeah, it's not so. unheard of that somebody uses the word pal. Correct. But, you know, Buddy, it just happens. Chum, chief. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if that's something that, that you would. It's a scriptwriter shorthand, so let's blame D'Souza and move on. Okay. All right, that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. And then uh, we, we get a shot of, of Trudeau, who's contemplating you know, what he's going to do here. And he looks back and forth. He, he he once again looks at the dossier, which I don't think he really needs to look at it again, but he still does. You know, why not? <laughs> I got it in my hand, so I might as well take a look at it, see, what, see what's there. And then he goes, Lorenzo, how about your shift commander's report in now? And then Lorenzo goes, what? You're not buying into this. And he goes, I want them to report anything unusual. However trivial, got that? Yeah, I got it. And, you know, once again, it shows who's in charge. We talked about this uh, a little bit yesterday uh, yesterday and the day before. You know, that apparently Trudeau is, he's able to give orders to, to Lorenzo without a problem. And Lorenzo's got to, you know, take it on. We also get like a, a nice steering competition between McLean and, and Trudeau helped Trudeau figure out that okay maybe maybe he should listen to to John McLean maybe or at least uh, err on the side of caution yeah well they get instant confirmation in the very next moment yes but you know but he says it before so it's you know I, I guess even though for us it's only been you know a minute and a half it's already been five minutes in their world <laughs> because the next thing that happens is that all the lights start going off in on the runway and we hear shouts from different people now we, we don't really know who all the people are first we we hear barnes says oh my god and then trudeau says what and then barnes goes the runways someone else scream out son of a <laughs> and then someone goes look what the hell you know, it's just like, then another voice says, they're shutting down. Then McLean goes, Jesus Christ. And then Trudeau looks out and they get, it's a great, it's a great shot through the window. You know, you see all the, the snow falling down and then you see the lights 
on at least the main runway in front of them start to to flicker off you know and i like the fact that they they don't have them all switch off at the same time but they're like one by one you know because you you would think that like if you flip a switch they're all going to go off as opposed to it it happening you know progressively like when you when you walk into a room and you turn on the light switch that that's in you know that deals with numerous lights they don't turn on one at a time you have to, yeah but if you're turning on and off circuit breakers you do that one at a time but this isn't a circuit breaker they've taken over control well i i don't know how they're turning the lights on and off uh you know stuart and his crew at one point, it looks like they're just chainsawing through the line and everything is cut off at once, in which case everything should have gone off at once. But I, if they've taken over control, then they, then I would assume that they'd have some kind of control like, you know, over different circuits. Because let's face it, he can turn on uh, some lights at some point and he can make adjustments in the uh, altitude uh, readings of the uh, plane. So way of doing that, I don't know that it has to be sequential, but you know, like I said, it's another one of those things that uh, it looks good on screen. I don't know if it matters uh, logically. It's just one of those things, once again, uh, right. you're doing something that's cinematic, not necessarily uh, realistic. Correct. No, yeah, I agree. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with how you would turn on and off uh, runway lights. I'm only familiar with what you would see in a movie. And apparently in a movie, what they do is they have them go off, uh, you know, sequentially or, or, you know, in order for it to play out this way. That it look, it, it does look cooler this way, let's put it that way, than for it all just to be blacked out. So I think that that's probably closer to the reason of why they do it yeah. that way, you know. And then Trudeau says, go to emergency lighting now. And Burns picks up the head, picks up the microphone and goes, emergency, we are in a code yellow. <laughs> and then some other guy screams, backup systems won't come up. And then Trudeau says, shut to another terminal. And then one guy, uh, you know, turns to someone else and goes, Bobby, what have you got? And then Bobby, whoever that is, says, nothing, the network's down. Then Lorenzo looks around and goes, should we call the power company? <laughs> Which is pretty funny because it doesn't seem as if uh, there's any real reason that, you know, that he should worry about the power company, you know, with this type of thing. Lorenzo, as as you said yesterday, Lorenzo's character uh, is there as somewhat comic relief of showing how incompetent, you know, a police captain can be in this type of situation. Yeah. Even though he doesn't need to be. He could be more uh, effective, but... Uh, uh, I guess that that's what they want here. You know, we get we get it in all the Die Hard movies. You know, there there are uh, incompetent police. Every every pretty much every police officer you meet in these movies is incompetent, besides John and maybe one other every time. That's how that's how you keep think keep us uh, you know interested in watching John because <laughs> he's the only competent one around. Well, when you get to Die Hard with a Vengeance, it's a little bit different, but. Uh... We'll we'll worry for that one when you get to that movie by movie minute yeah. by that minute by minute yeah hopefully hopefully in two seasons we'll be there that is that is the current plan and then Trudeau responds we're not we're on the same grid we're hot so you know it it's uh, you know at least at least Trudeau's thinking clearly about these type of things you know you you I mean on the one hand you can sort of understand why Lorenzo would think that right away. 
Um, but Trudeau is thinking clearly and is like, well, we're on the same grid, so it can't happen. Or it shouldn't happen. Let's put it that way. There's yeah. something, you know, something strange going on. That That's what it is, you know. And I would assume Trudeau is a little bit more aware of the technological operations of the airport than the security guy would be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And we, we get a little, if, if you freeze frame on uh, second 53, you actually can get a shot of a computer that has a list of arrivals. So it gives us a little bit of a hint as to what time approximately this is all going on. Uh, this is probably around 8.15, 8.30, something like that, because you have a you it, you have a list of, of flights coming in. You have Topeka, LA, Portland, Helsinki, New Orleans, Indianapolis, Roanoke, San Francisco, and Honolulu, which the only one that we know of that could be from one of the planes that were that were being shown uh, later in the movie or parts of the movie is the one from LA because that's where Holly's coming Holly. from. But you know we have a plane coming from London. We have a plane. Uh, we have a Japanese plane coming from from I assume. Japan. I don't remember if there's any others that they specifically mention where they're coming from. You know, they do, they do the international aspect to make us, uh, you know, get an idea that you know how much of an international airport Dallas can actually be. The technology in a the movie theater in 1990 is a lot different than the home theater experience of 2023, where you can freeze frame on something and see it in a high definition, as opposed to, and you can keep it there, as opposed to seeing something for a fraction of a second on the big screen. Yeah, for sure. Unless you're a speed reader, you would never have seen all of those things. No, no, not at all. Not at all. But it's still fun to see it, you know, that that there's actually, you know, it's nice looking and seeing different things, you know, showing that they put they put in the effort, you know, to, to put these in there. I'm sure there are movies where if you freeze on the uh, letter that somebody has written or the newspaper article that somebody is reading or the... Uh, the blog site that they up on the page that there's a lot of stuff in there that is not real. That right. It's just been copied over from something else. Yeah, sure. There are plenty of movies where you, where, where you get that. So for sure. It's true. And basically, you know, so you can see the times of all of these uh, various uh, flights and they, they range anywhere between like 840 to 950. So, you know, uh, it, it doesn't give us very many. There are probably a lot more airlines that are flying in at this point than what they actually show here. Well, rem yeah. 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 I'm trying to remember if it, I, I think it occurs after this that they send the flights that aren't already in the path to other, to their secondary airports. Right. Okay. Well, we'll yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, we I, might think even, that's, I think that's another minute. But yeah, we, we're, next, we'll get there later this week, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually looked up about, like, what what do they do in the, with the, like, what's the history of the, you know, air traffic control and, and the, you know, the tower and things like that? Do you, do you know when the first airport was that, that introduced the air traffic control? I'll, I assume it was somewhere in the 1920s when they started establishing some organization over you know flights probably the late 1920s somewhere okay it was actually in 1920 itself in croydon airport in london that was the first airport 
in the world to introduce air traffic control. Um, in the U.S., they actually uh, started off having uh, what were known as AMRSs, which were air mail radio stations. So in, in 1922, the post office started using it, and they were using techniques that were originally developed by the Army in order to direct and track movements of reconnaissance aircrafts. Um, they eventually, the AM, AMRS morphed into what's known as the flight service stations. All right, but the first airport traffic control tower uh, was opened in Cleveland in 1930. Years later, they, they started uh, creating control facilities that uh, were using radar you know, in the 1950s, and that was used to monitor and control the busy airspace around uh, larger airports. In 1935, the in Newark, that was the, the, the they opened a, ta a traffic control center, which was used to direct the movement of aircraft between departure and destination. And in 1936, uh, both in Chicago and Cleveland, they opened those up. And in the U.S., there are 22 uh, main places set up by the FAA to, to deal with uh, with like zones of, of uh, you know, they're known as air route traffic control centers. Okay, each, obviously each airport has its own tower and stuff like that. Um, in 1956, there was a, uh, a mid-air collision uh, over the Grand Canyon that killed 128 people on board. After that, they gave the FAA, you know, the responsibility of dealing with all facets of air traffic because they, it, it got too confusing if you didn't have one governing organization dealing with it all. Yeah, central authority probably makes a lot of sense when you're trying to regulate traffic. Yeah, so the, the tower itself is responsible for the active runway surfaces and the, the air control clears traffic uh, for takeoff or landing, ensuring that prescribed runway separation will exist at all times. Okay, so they, you know, they, they have a lot of issues that they need to make sure that, you know, depending on, you know, for separation, for, for safety, they need something called, known as air traffic separation, which each uh, airline, first of all, has their distinctive call sign, which used to be two letter call sign that was that was changed into a three three letter call sign which nowadays it's you know the call sign of the airline plus the flight number you know but for small planes it's the uh usually the registration number of the the plane itself in order to to be able to to differentiate between them then you have what's known as air traffic flow management it's the way of regulating the air traffic in order to avoid exceeding airport or air traffic control capacity in handling traffic to ensure that av available capacity is used efficiently. You know, basically they wanna try to avoid collisions. You know, so they, you know, each airport has the limited number of uh, their capacity of how many planes they can have in its pattern, I guess you can say, at, at a given time. Um, the weather can obviously cause some problems with dealing with its capacity. If there are strong winds, that will limit the number of runways available, and poor visibility will make problems with, uh, you know, you need to have longer separations between the aircraft when they're landing. In order to, you know, you 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 have to know how many aircraft you can land safely in order, you know, per hour, in order to make sure that uh, you're not going to have uh, issues of uh, crashes and things like that. So I hope all you future air traffic controllers have been paying attention for the last few minutes.
<laughs> yeah, well, why not? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? <laughs> That's why we talk about these things. I mean, they do say that that working in in the uh, you know air traffic uh, control, you know, people the air traffic controllers are apparent. It's apparently one of the, the highest stress jobs uh, around. So you know, we were talking the other day about uh, you know people having to go get uh, cholesterol tests. Uh, those are people that definitely need to make sure they have stress tests. Uh, yeah, they should be checking their blood pressure on a daily basis. Yeah, that's definitely true. So do you have anything else to say about this minute before we get into the script? Nope. Okay, well, once again, the script doesn't have that many changes, but there are a few uh, dis distinctions here. So yesterday we started in the script with uh, McLean saying, damn straight the human element. And he goes, you've got the world's biggest drug dealer on the way, one body and a lot of questions. Does anybody want to look for answers? And then Trudeau tells Lorenzo to have a shift commander's report in. And then we hear Barnes say, oh, my God. Everyone turns at the chill of Barnes's voice. And then it says, but Barnes doesn't reply, just tries and fails to point out the window. Everyone turns slowly without any fuss and with the pattern of sorts. That would be pretty if the impact wasn't so frightening. Slowly, all the runway lights are going out. Then McLean says, Jesus. And then... They, they cut to the church, and it says, Stuart's text, throw more and more switches. And then it takes us back to the tower, and it says, and more and more run runways go dark. And then Barnes says, emergencies, controllers, code yellow. People leap into action. Meanwhile, Trudeau and the others move around the tower. The camera follows in a 180-degree turn. Watch as the lights keep going out. And then we'd have random things saying, Bactum systems won't come up shunt to another terminal, and then one of the technicians says, this ain't software, boss. And then Lorenzo has his comment about the power company, and then Trudeau says, we're on the same goddamn grid, and we're hot. And that's how the script ends for this minute. So every Wednesday, we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Airport Airplane Edition, where my guests will give some sort of story, anecdote, uh, adventure, misadventure, something that's happened to them over the course of their life that is somehow related to uh, air travel. So, Richard, do you have a story for us? Sure. I've got a story for you. In 1978, I was traveling as a college student on a debate swing. We had just completed a tournament at the University of New Mexico, and we were headed out to uh, Dartmouth. And later on, we were going to be swinging back through uh, northern Iowa for uh, an event. So I had a very extensive airplane trip that was part of this process. And by the way, this is the first time I was flying on planes. Oh, really? Uh, so it was, it, you know, it was in, invigorating. But uh, our schedule was kind of odd because we had so many connections that we were trying to make. We were in the, uh, my debate partner and I were in the Albuquerque airport uh, waiting for a flight out late to Boston. Uh, I think our flight probably left, you know, sometime, you know, 3 or 4 a.m., wow. something ridiculous like that, so that we could get to Boston by 9 a.m. Uh, when we were uh, supposed to arrive. Uh, so we, we didn't have a hotel for the night. We were basically just hanging out at the airport. And the Albuquerque airport in... At two o'clock in the morning, 
in uh, the middle of the night in November uh, is not busy. So uh, we, we had bought Frisbees at the uh, University of New Mexico as kind of souvenirs of our trip there. We took out the Frisbees and my partner and I flung the Frisbees across the uh, terminals oh, wow. for uh, about an hour, uh, playing an a invigorating game of uh, Frisbee, jumping over the seats, running across uh, uh, the uh, aisleways. Uh, we, I think our Frisbees hit the, um, the stations of the uh, airlines a couple of times, because there was nobody there at this time of night, so it wasn't a big deal. But uh, nowadays, of course, no such thing would ever happen. First of all, the airports don't quite die out that much at night. And of course, there's now so much security that the first time we flung a Frisbee, there would probably be somebody on top of us. Yeah, probably. But uh, that was uh, a, a wild evening that we spent. And of course, when we got uh, on our plane, we were wiped out. We were, I, I think I did sleep about an hour, hour and a half on the plane. Uh, but uh, we were wired up. We'd had a great tournament. We, we actually won the tournament. So we were you know, excited about that. And we're traveling to the East Coast and um, looking forward to it. So just a little bit of craziness in the airport at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. All right. Very cool. Thank you for that story. So, Richard, you want to mm -hmm. tell people how they can get in touch with you? Hey, I can be found at uh, the Lambcast, which is the official podcast of the Large Association of Movie Blogs. Uh, you can find the Lamb at movieblogs.com. You can also find the Lambcast uh, on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just use the term Lamb on Twitter and Lambcast on Facebook, and we're easy to find. Myself, my site is Kirkham a Movie a Day. There are two sites, one's on WordPress, one's on Blogspot. Both of them have the same content. Uh, one's just a little bit easier to negotiate. So, uh, but I'm easy to find. If you just type in my name and uh, Movie a Day, you'll you'll find it. All right, very cool. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on my website, movieroundminute.com, and you can find me on Facebook. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay, everybody! If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, it